Are you a new or aspiring woman leader that wants to make a successful leap into leadership? Do you want to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so that you can become the kind of leader other people want to follow? Welcome to The Leadership Leap, a show that is all about helping women to become more confident about making the leap into leadership. Now, here is your host, Leanne Pico. Hi there. Welcome to The Leadership Leap. I'm Leanne Pico, your host. Oh my goodness, we have such a fantastic show for you today. I say it every week, I know, but I get, I'm just so excited. I'm, I've, I'm just so lucky to get such amazing guests. So now I'm just going to thank my guests from last week first, though. So thanks so much to Rebecca Neggs from the Humphrey Group. She was here talking about what it means to speak up in the workplace and how to do it effectively. Something I wish I had learned earlier in my career, but I will say no more about that. <laughs> and then we had Gurpreet Kaurman. HR superhero. She was here to give us some really great tips for managing that gap between when you want to become a leader and getting the position. So a lot of women, um, particularly young women, uh, tell me that I work with in my program or uh, coaching say that they, they just people don't see them as a leader. And so it's hard to get up there. So Gurpreet gave some really great tips about how to navigate that and how to do it yourself. So have a listen to that show. It's on the Leadership Leap show show page and it's also on any of your favorite podcast providers. So like I said, I am super excited about today's show. Today, the show contains several things that I love. Um, That's the joy of being the host. You get to choose (laughs) these things. So we're going to talk a little politics in our segment, Who Thought It Best? Where we don't care what you wear, we care what you think, with Tina De Los Santos. And then Christina Sacchifio and I will be talking about an issue that often floats uh, under the surface in our conversations about racism. Uh, I love putting a spotlight on important things that impact women particularly. So looking forward to um, getting to learn more about that. Um, it's shadism that we're going to talk about. So you're going to want to hang around and listen to this. We we don't have this conversation often. Um, and first, though, we're going to be chatting with Candice Capacha. I hope I said that right. She can let me know. Um, we're going to talk to Candice about her leadership development program for black youth. And um, you might not know this about me, but I spent many years working with young people and ran uh, organizations both locally and nationally related to youth action. I love working with young people. It was, uh, it's always so much fun. And there's always uh, some you know, there's this special thing in providing opportunities for people who may not always get them that is just so, so special. Uh, And the reason for that is because when we help young people to have opportunities to shine, they do every time, guarantee it. So I am going to introduce Candice now. Candice is the executive director of DILOT, Developing Leaders of Tomorrow Today. And Candace was also named as one of the 100 Black Women to Watch in 2019, and she's recently been named in the top 25 list of Women of Influence for 2020. Candace, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Leanne. I'm excited about today's uh, conversation. Me too, and congratulations. A well, I've been. Wa- it's funny. I've been watching Candace's project. Uh, um, progress on LinkedIn and very deserved. How are you feeling about your award? I am, uh, I'm overwhelmed, I think. Uh, and, and, but so, uh, proud 
um, of the work that uh, that Dilot has has uh, has been doing, and um, and and so proud again for for the recognition because I think um, it's it's really important uh, that grassroots uh, uh, social action continues to be recognized uh, for the impact that we're having. And so just for the simple fact that I, w- that I was recognized um, really elevates that level of pride for me. And on top of that, another layer that the recognition occurred in Black History during Black History Month um, and during the uh, the UN Decade for People of African Descent um, really adds, you know, several layers to to the the feeling of pride that I have right now. So, um, and then of course being on your show and being able to um, to share, you know, about Dilot uh, is is just phenomenal. So I'm 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 beside myself right now. Oh, that's awesome! And I was going to say <laughs> Happy Black History Month. It, it is pretty Thank amazing you. to have that announced in a kind of a a trifecta. There, it's um yeah, and yes. and you know, it's a, it's a. I mean, I, I saw some of the women who you were recognized um in the group. There, it's quite yeah. a group. So wow, Absolutely. wow, wow, wow! Yes. It's so nice Absolutely. to see social action up there with with uh, women who have accomplished so many different things. Absolutely. Nice. Okay, so tell us about Dilot. Uh, what is it, and um, why did you start it? Yeah. So Dilot, as you as you mentioned, is uh, developing young leaders of tomorrow today. I started it really as uh, it was an idea when I when I started. It was I was I was uh, completing my uh, Master of Social Work uh, degree at York uh, York University in Toronto and. Um, during that uh, that process, uh, my focus was on policy development uh, and structural social work, and I it was really challenging for me as one of the only Black students in a master's program who had a focus on policy development. Uh, I stuck out as a as a sore thumb um, through my undergrad and through my uh, through my graduate study because my focus in social work was about how policy uh, policy development imp- impacts the individual and the community. Right, my um, you know my area of focus again got even furthermore marginalized because I was interested in how racialized social workers could um, really have an impact at the policy level as policy writers. And so... When I uh, when I broached that conversation with my field supervisors, with my major research paper supervisors, I really had difficult a difficult time finding mentors who were black, um, who could provide me with that supervision. And in the field, when I was doing my research paper, um, I didn't have a black supervisor who could. Um, help guide my my research focus who could really help me along the way um most of the the administrators were uh were white um but their focus was on clinical practice it wasn't on policy practice so uh, i really had to make it a piecemeal and and to be honest um I I don't think that my research paper was the best quality because I didn't have, I had to figure it out on my own. And so Dilot, um, when I saw the struggle that I was experiencing, I I experienced a lot of um, isolation. I felt isolated in my program at the time um, because, first of all, 
uh, policy practice is something that is not standard in social work. So I was really charting my own course at that point. And, um, and just from my own social location, um, I knew the experiences of, uh, that my experience wasn't unique, uh, as a student, as a black woman, as a woman interested in structural, um, issues. Uh, I know that other people were more than likely going through those things or would go through those things. So I felt like I had to do something to, um, really ground that experience for myself, but also for the generation or for the people who would be coming up with me or after me, um, and, f- and to find, uh, you know, to make something tangible, tangibly available to young people, um, so that they, they could see that it's, you know, they don't have to go through this alone and there is something there for them to draw on when they come up against these barriers that they structural barriers that they would face. So that's why, oh, um, it. that's what, yeah, why Dialogue was formed. Mm-hmm. So good. And just, you know, and you know, the thing is, is that I can just, I can, um, having been around uh, social action and social issues and in, in, in the work, I was in the work for many years too. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, I can see why you would and how you would be isolated. We often uh, look at things like social work as an individual endeavor yeah. rather than looking at yes. the systemic problems. But at the same time, yeah. like the number of, you know, children, especially black children in care should exactly. give us, it <laughs> should alert us to a systemic problem, you would think. Definitely, but anyway, definitely. that's a whole other show we could talk, we probably need a glass of wine and talk yeah. for a long time about that. Because and I love that you just you said, okay, right, I'm going to go in and create something to help others, because you could have easily just become quite um, grumpy and, and not and I, I wanted to use a different word than that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I can't on air. Um, but so what when when you kind of look at leadership development for young black um, and racialized young people, like what is mm-hmm. it? What what are you seeing when you're when you're doing leadership development for them and with them? What what do you see that kind of keeps you going? Because it's not an easy thing to start a nonprofit and and also Absolutely. especially off the back of a, uh, an experience like that. So what what Absolutely. do you see? What yeah. what get, what makes your heart sing every time you get you you kind of get up in the morning to do this work? Yeah, you know, first and foremost, um, I look at the end result. Um, I don't necessarily just look at the work. I look at the end result. Like, what are these young people uh, going? How are they going to benefit from this program? So, uh, and then I and then I work backwards, right? So, uh, first and foremost, I think they see. Uh, uh, opportunities. There's opportunities for them, right? And uh, and I think in in the motor that that pushes me is the, is that I can be a conduit. I can build those channels where these young people have access to people who are successful, so that they know they can be successful as well. And what what really motivates me is hearing the stories from the young people who are a part of the program who come back and say, you know what, Candace, um, I was so withdrawn, I was so depressed, I was so uh, you know, downtrodden because I thought that, you know, I was just a forgotten statistic. I was just that, you know, that next number that, um, you know, the uh, society says, 
oh, they're, they'll never amount to anything. But then I see this person go into college or university or get, you know, the, the, the job of their dreams or something, and, and they come back and they say, it's because of thy lot why, why I'm here. And I've oh, had those funny. stories, you know, yeah. and, and when I get that feedback, I'm like, it's almost like you get this adrenaline injection and you're like, okay, what's next? Here we go. You know, I love so, it. I love it. That's so <laughs> yeah, awesome. For sure. For awesome. sure. Well, tell us so how can people, going. Mm-hmm. well, and it's, and it's an amazing thing. And again, you know, I'm, it, it, when, um, there's the gratitude that we get from from these programs with young people, but it's really about the long game, right? It's about exactly. them exactly. having control of their lives and and feeling yeah. like, and and for me, so the work that we do with the Leadership Leap is about make elevating women and helping yeah. young women move into leadership positions, and we mm-hmm. can talk about that at you know when they're in the workplace, but in actual fact, mm-hmm. it starts much earlier, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and that's the piece that um, that we also work on at Dialot. Um, we see. A dialogue as as a holistic organism, right? It's not just a regular nonprofit that we provide a service and then you come and you go through our program and then you move on and and you, everything is all well and good. We know that uh, statistically marginalized and racialized youth, in particular black youth, um, this the the systemic disadvantages that they face is so entrenched that it impacts every single area of their life. Right. So much. So we so are much. not looking. Yeah, we're not just looking at okay. We're we're providing you with career development skills and and the professional development things. We're looking at um, your socioeconomic. We're looking at your 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 sociopsychological. We're looking at all those areas. And for for us, um, the thing that grounds us is that we're providing a safe. Base um, of early intervention for kids and youth and, and young professionals to learn about their own agency, to make mistakes, and as well to see themselves as problem solvers, right? Because what we know, the narrative that exists is that racialized youth um, are often stereotyped as problem contributors, right? Um, yes. These are, these are young people who are often uh, have fallen through the cracks or, or you know, to say it bluntly, they're forgotten about. You know, yeah. um, we are we are a minority uh, in so many ways, but uh, a minority that is easily overlooked. And I think um, just even to 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 use the umbrella of the UN decade, the theme of the of the UN decade is uh, recognition justice and development and i think for dialogue uh and the work that we do we frame our work under that mandate is that we want to recognize the capacity that exists within black youth and elevate those voices we also want uh to ensure that social justice occurs for these black youth by providing them with the tools that are necessary that uh to level the playing field right in in every area and then finally we want to develop the capacity that exists uh on an intrinsic level right by matching them with the right mentors um for every journey that they, that uh, every every leg of the journey that they have to um, uh, undergo, so that's really what we what we strive for at Dialot. Um and we want to make sure that we recognize those 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 people who um, have uh, innate talent, 
um, yes. you know, and, and, and those who are able to, to function within any environment. And we want to make sure that we provide them with the right, the right tools, right? We want That's to also so make sure that we do yeah. away Thank with you. the, this. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. Um, we just, I jumped yeah. in there. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Candice. We're just going to come to a break. I'm sorry to jump in there, but I want to okay, make no sure worries. before we go, we go to the break because because it's important that young people both see that they're part of a system. It's not just them, which is amazing exactly. that you do that. And then, like you say, kind of shine a light on the talent they have and provide mm-hmm. that very crucial mentoring. So congratulations mm-hmm. on that work. It's just, it's just Thank so you. amazing and very much needed. Tell us, how can people get in touch with you if they want to support the project? Yeah. Um, so right now, we we really want to get um, expertise and mentoring. That's a key piece that we're looking for right now. So uh, my contact information is 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 uh, in uh, Twitterverse. Um, you can reach me at at Candice Kotchup one or at Dilot um, underscore. And uh, we also have a website that you can visit www.dilot dot com and you can always email me info at dialot dot com and that's the best way to get uh, get a hold of me and um, we're always uh, uh, ready to respond and, and connect um, and, and ready to build relationship because we know relationship is important to further the work. Wonderful, thank you so much, and thanks and congratulations again on your award and um, looking forward to this Black History Month. I think we're going to see some really great stuff coming out of projects like yours and hopefully around the world, I'm hoping. Um, So (laughs) make sure um, everybody, if you can think of you interested in mentoring or you want to support the project, I'm sure that you take donations as well. Uh, Contact Candice and and thank you again, Candice, and congratulations. Thank you so much again, Leanne. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, we'll be chatting with Tina De Los Santos about the Finland collaboration. Talk soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the What Not To Do School of Leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn that the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, you will discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code RADIO for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be. 
Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the What Not To Do School of Leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, you'll discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code radio for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to The Leadership Leap with Leanne Pico. You can find out more about Leanne and the program at theleadershipleap.net. Don't forget that you can also send in your questions about all things leadership to Leanne at her email address, info at theleadershipleap.net, and we'll try to answer them on the show. Now, back to The Leadership Leap. Hi there, welcome back. Wow, that was such a good conversation with Candice uh, about um, Dilot and her program and uh one thing that you know always just strikes me is when when people have had adverse experiences and they turn it into something amazing um and and interestingly uh i think i talked about the fact that i had previously done youth work um the person i'm going to introduce now has done youth work and christina who's coming on later has also done youth work so this is a youth work related show it's awesome we're all doing other (laughs) stuff now related to leadership so we're now going to talk about do our who thought it best segment this is the segment where we don't care what you wear we care what you think um or today we really care about how you lead so we're going to take a break from watching the never ending mess that is us politics <laughs> sorry to my american listeners um but we're going to you've had a lot of action this week so that's why i'm referring to it but we're going to focus on another country that's doing some really cool stuff so Tina De Los Santos is our communication strategist here at the Leadership Leap, and she is always out finding cool stuff to share with you. Um, Tina, tell us about Finland. What have you been? What have you been seeing there? Would you? Would, what do you want to share with us? Well, Finland. I'm sure in the last few months, a lot of us have seen a lot of news about Finland because uh, Sanna Marin was elected. Um, as the youngest prime minister um, in December. She's only 34, and she's actually sort of the head of a coalition government with four other parties, and four of those total five women are under 35, and I think the next one is somewhere in her early 40s. So very young women leading a coalition government, a collaborative leadership effort, 
And they're just doing some really cool things. And I thought it would be great if we just kind of dove in, particularly into sort of Santa Marin and where she came from and how leadership like this is possible in Finland and why it's a reality in Finland. Nice, nice. Okay, and so she is the youngest. Uh, I mean, we're seeing a trend, which is which is yeah. uh, Jacinda Arden in New Zealand, and seeing a trend of younger women coming up. But what, like, why is it noteworthy? Um, other than the fact that she's a young woman, like, what is noteworthy about Finland? Do you think? What What can we learn from there? Well, I think what is interesting, and I I guess we can never know if it's because she's young and a woman, but she has really interesting ideas that differ from what we're normally seeing from world leaders. Her focus isn't on GDP and economic growth. Her focus in her policies and in her agenda um, tend to be on well-being. And that, um, you know, she notes like Finland is often voted the happiest country in the world and it's because they prioritize, um, you know, family, culture, life, that sort of thing. Oh, and hang on, didn't she have, I saw uh, something a little while ago, I think you posted it maybe, um, around that, that shift to a wellness measure. I think she's been working on that with Nicola Sturgeon from Scotland and Jacinda Arden in New Zealand. So we've got a few women leaders kind of saying, okay, we're switching up this conversation. Absolutely. And I mean, there's a lot of things that she has talked about. Before she was prime minister, so when she was the she was the minister of transport and communications for for her party, the Social Democratic Party, um, from I think it was from 2015 um, until she became the party leader in 2019, and she gained a lot of respect there. There's apparently it's in Finnish, so I didn't watch them, but there are some YouTube videos of her sort of leading um, meetings, discussions, debates. Um, and she gained a lot of sort of popularity and respect in Finland because she she let she was leading them expertly and maintaining her cool despite, you know, some really heated debates. Um, but I think also um, with her focus being on well-being, uh, we learned that um, she, I think it was, well, yeah, it was while she was a transport minister, um, she wanted to sort of uh, focus on, you know, as I said, well-being and that sort of thing. She proposed an idea for having a six-hour workday and a four-day work week. Um, It was kind of picked up in the media as something that was a policy that she was working on, but really was more of an idea for their party. Um, She was quoted as saying that, you know, I believe people deserve to spend more time with their families, their loved ones, hobbies, and other aspects of life, such as culture, and it could be the next step in a sort of evolving working life. So she has these, you know, really interesting ideas about um, where the focus of her leadership should be, and it's about improving the lives of people rather than, um, you know, solely generating, um, you know, business and, and that sort of thing. Well, that's a bit of a departure from other places, including our own yeah, province. There's this, and and it's interesting. It's not about like I mean, the thing is, is that this is a departure, not just, and it's not just about current leaders of other countries. It's actually a, de- a huge departure from how governments have tended to run um, for for many years. So, how is she? Do you know how she's being received? I mean, is she? Like, it feels like. Finland, um, and I, I saw an interview with her a little while ago, and again, this may have been posted by you, I don't know, um, that was about, um, she was being asked about why were there, like, this coalition, and why were there so many women leaders, and was it a kind of an anomaly, and she said, no, Finland has been 
uh, actively helping women move into leadership positions in all sectors for many years. Um, oh, and so this is kind of the result of that, right? Well, and I mean, I think these are sort of the conditions that led to having so many uh, women in leadership positions in Finland. So first of all, it ranks really high in the World Economic Forum's annual gender gap in, uh, report index. Um, I mean, Iceland is number one, but Finland is up there as well. I think they're usually fourth or somewhere around there. Um, they have excellent education and healthcare, um, social welfare, other social benefits. And, and with the education and healthcare, the thing that's the trick about that in Finland is that it's um, equally successful for men and women. So though some countries may have really excellent education, um, often more men are accessing that education than women or healthcare fails women, whereas it's successful for men, yes. but they it, yes. it's sort of equal in Finland. They've also fostered sort of this strong pipeline for women um, because they have such strong gender equity. Young girls and women see women leaders all over Finland. It's a sort of like this self-perpetuating um, action. So as more women step into leadership roles, more young women see themselves as leaders. And not only that, men who are often in charge of hiring, um, not necessarily in Finland, but in general, um, have their biases may come uh, into play less because they are more accustomed to seeing women in leadership roles. Right. That's such a good point. That's such a good point because mm-hmm. I hear it like you know, it we talk about the US is saying I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well and it, we see it in the US and here in Canada. It's kind of like, well, can a woman be president or can a woman be prime minister and it's kind of like what what do you mean by that? Like of course they can. But because we haven't socialized um you know, that idea through action, um, it does seem to be an impossibility for a lot of people. Well, it's interesting because we spoke about Iceland last month. um, And and Iceland does keep coming up because they have so many women leaders and they have so many policies uh, that encourage uh, gender diversity on on all kinds of leadership um, positions in Iceland. But they had a female prime minister from 1980 to 1996. And right. it was in the late 80s and early 90s that young boys were questioning whether they could become prime minister. Because oh, all you're they kidding. Known their whole lives was a woman prime minister. Um, wow. You know, so it's just such a... Can you imagine? <laughs> no, I, I'm boys sitting here this? trying to. Yes, I'm enjoying that, that imagining. <laughs> yes. Yeah, isn't and, that you know, fun? In, like in, to think that, um, that that we can actually change the narrative in such a substantial way. Absolutely, and you know, in Iceland and Finland and many other Nordic countries, any kind of board or governing body, they have laws where forty um, percent has to be made up, um, or, or at least forty percent of each gender. So they can't mm-hmm. have more than forty percent men or forty percent women. They have to have okay. sort of this gender equality on their boards. So you know. They're legislated, and sometimes that is the way that it has to be done in order to change culture and, and um, sort of society perceptions, societal perceptions of who can be a leader. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So that is great stuff. Thank you so much, Tina, because, you know, it's important for the work that we're doing, and, you know, we, we kind of talk about this not just in terms of politics. Uh, we have women in our in the leadership lead program, and like I say in my coaching, all the time who kind of say, "Can I really be a leader? I'm not sure I can." Like it's about confidence, and it's when you're feeling uh, a lack of confidence personally. Part of it can be infected, like you said, like Candace was talking about, is when you look at the system and the system doesn't show you that you could be part of it. It's hard to. It feels like a long battle, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
And it's, it is, like I said, it's a snowball effect. When we see women in power, more women will believe it's possible to be in leadership positions, too. And when we have women in power, we have more women hiring women. Uh, and we see the priority change as well. Yeah. I mean, the kind yeah. of leadership that um, Senator Marin is, is exhibiting is very different. And in fact, the, the um, government before her from 2015 to 2019, it was more of a center-right government where a lot of, and led by men, um, it was, you know, a lot of um, equality rights were being eroded. And so this was kind of, um, you know, a response to that huge voter turnout and, um, you know, all kinds of liberals and all kinds of women were being elected, were elected in that, um, or were being voted on in that election. So interesting. Okay, well, thank you very much. We're going to keep an eye on this one, and um, particularly you mentioned it, and I uh, maybe on another show we can talk specifically about that collaboration um, that they've mm-hmm. set up uh, because it's not just all liberal folk. It's a mixture of political leanings, and it's going to be interesting to see whether um, uh, political leaders can actually collaborate together to get stuff done. So thank you, Tina, Absolutely. and we look forward to seeing you next month for Who Thought It Best. Okay, thanks so much, Leanne. Talk soon. Okay, so thanks again to Tina for being here, for doing um, the looking into that, but also for the great content. If you haven't had a chance, um, make sure you follow our page at The Leadership Leap on LinkedIn. We're also on Facebook. Um, Tina just goes and finds really good, um, substantial articles and some nice inspirational uh, memes for you there too to keep you going. So go check out our Leadership Leap page on LinkedIn and on Facebook and follow us. We'd love to hang out with you. Okay, so now we're going to move to our Inclusion Zone segment. We've got a couple minutes before the break where we're going to uh, introduce a topic that I've been excited about talking about for a while. Um, so Christina Sakifio is here for her Inclusion Zone again this month. And just a reminder, Christina is the principal consultant and owner of Boldly Inclusive, a consulting and training firm that specializes in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and another reminder, we had our, our last show with Christina. She talked about her Inclusion First um methodology and framework and it's I, I you should listen to that show if you didn't get a chance to have a listen because it's like blows your mind in terms of of course we should be working on inclusion first it makes great sense um, but today we're going to be talking about shadism what it is and how it in fact affects women of color christina welcome to the show hey there Leanne. how are you i'm good how's your month been I've been pretty good. Good. (laughs) Happy Black Happy happy Black History Month. So good. So good. Um, So tell us now, um, so we've got about a minute before the break, and what I thought was if you could kind of just introduce us to what shadism is, and then after the break we can talk about how it it impacts people. All right. So um, shadism or colorism, many people might also hear it in that term, It's a type of discrimination that's based on skin tone, usually with preference for people with lighter skin tones. And the idea is that the lighter your skin color, the more beautiful, smarter, maybe purer um, you are. And this is something that we see not just in black, indigenous, and racialized communities, but we also see this in terms of people of color's relationships with white communities as well. So this is a pretty important topic, um, and it's going to, you know, really connect deeply with the way in which we talk about um, unconscious bias as well. Oh, my goodness. And oh, so it's already we're dealing with um, kind of that racialization uh, for people in terms of uh, a cultural background and skin color, 
But then we're also mm-hmm. talking about tone. Like that is like a double discriminatory factor, right? And if you're Absolutely, a woman, that's triple. Yeah. Yes. So it's definitely a gendered conversation. Um, and it really connects to the conversation around intersectionality as well. But you're absolutely right. Uh, it's a piece of the puzzle that we don't often talk about because, uh, you know, it conflates so much with uh, race um, as well. Um, but at the same time, we don't talk about it because many of us don't actually know that it exists. Um, it's a conversation we're having in, um, you know, communities among people of color very often, but it's not one that often gets uh, the attention that, um, you know, perhaps it should be getting uh, when we're connecting with our larger uh, societies and with uh, white communities as well. So it's a pretty important one, but one that we don't get to chat enough about. Yeah, and I, I'll admit that even as somebody who's um, quite aware and worked hard to, you know, be aware that uh, you introduced this concept to me and, um, you know, it's obviously for a lot of us who don't experience this kind of discrimination, it, we can often, it's a blanket, like racism is a blanket term, but there are so many facets going on under that umbrella that we actually need to start digging into in order to really make action. So when we come back from the Mm -hmm. break, we're going to talk to, thank you. And so Christina, I'm going to ask you when you come back from the break about how does it work and what's the impact on women in the workplace? And then we're going to have a little message. Christina is going to give a little bit of a, a message, some tips for women leaders. So we'll be back in just a minute. We're going to keep talking about shadism. Don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the What Not To Do School of Leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn that the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, you will discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code radio for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be. Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the what not to do school of leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn the hard way. 
That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, you'll discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code radio for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to The Leadership Leap with Leanne Pico. You can find out more about Leanne and the program at theleadershipleap.net. Don't forget that you can also send in your questions about all things leadership to Leanne at her email address, info at theleadershipleap.net, and we'll try to answer them on the show. Now, back to The Leadership Leap. Hey, welcome back, Liam Pico. I am, oh, I'm loving this show so much. We're talking about such cool stuff. Uh, before the break, Christina Sacchifio and I were talking about shadism, and Christina is helping me understand what it is. Um, I'm just having this kind of real reaction um, to it in terms of thinking about, you know, in, in a way, we come to racism and we think about racism in such a homogenous way that we kind of you know, uh, we were just saying in the break, it's kind of a, a double or triple discrimination. And we just, it's, we need to have better conversations uh, about this stuff. So I'm so glad Christina's here and willing to to uh, help me understand it and help us kind of talk about it. So Christina, we talked about a shadism being a discrimination based on tone. So how does it work? Like, how do you, how do you, uh, how do we know it's happening? Mm-hmm. So um, I think the easiest way to think about it is just through um, story. Uh, and I think that this connects very well to a lot of the work that you do and some of the work that we've done together. But um, when we think about and when we dive into the experiences of people who've been impacted by shadism, you hear lots of stories. Um, you might hear stories about young girls who were told, for example, that they would be prettier if they were lighter skin or kids were teased by having, you know, darker skin. I think a famous example was, um, you know, the actress Eva Longoria from uh, yep. Desperate Housewives? Yes. Yeah. So when she was young, um, she talked about um, she talked about being the uh, I think the nickname they had for her was the ugly dark one because she was darker skinned, um, but her sisters were fairer skinned, um, had lighter hair, I believe, you know, light eyes. So she was always isolated for that reason or, you know, identified in that way for that reason. So it's the stories that we hold with us. And what we find is that there are very clear links between shade, Western ideals of beauty as well right. as with social acceptance and social uh, and self-esteem. So there's this thing that's happening that's very deep um, about, you know, proximity to power, to privilege, to whiteness that's very connected to our colonial histories. 
So that's kind of, you know, it's a very deep <laughs> and ingrained, um, you know, element of our identity. But again, not one that we talk that much about. Well, and I was just thinking about for women then, it's kind of like when I think about, you know, that idealistic, I mean, it's funny because on one hand, we kind of, we, um, that pale, you know, kind of uh, English rose kind of piece. But then we also have like the, the, um, the darker skinned California sun-kissed ideal. And it's just super interesting that both of those are kind of accepted as you know mm-hmm. equally beautiful i'm gonna say in terms of you know how we present women on screen and things like that but that that kind of that kind of equality isn't even seen for women of color like it's so interesting that we're accepting of women getting darker and darker skinned but not if it's related to a cultural background or race Hmm. yeah and that's a really great insight um i think that it speaks a little bit to even just the privileges that we have to be able to kind of shape our identities and shape our ideas of what beauty are. But then, um, you know, one thing that you, uh, you know, you, you uh, noted for me by giving the example of being able to tan is the flip side where you'll hear stories of young people who were told growing up, stay out of the sun, you'll become darker. Right. 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 So well, and we really had the whole Michael Jackson. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go on, Christina. Oh, there you go. Yep, there you go. Very, yeah, interesting example right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I grew up what, seeing what, Michael what, Jackson uh, become whiter and whiter and whiter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'll also say that, you know, there was also the element of like his uh, his illness. I think he had vitiligo as well. So, true. Yeah, so there's like, yeah, so there, uh, but even though that even within that, there's a lot of elements of, you know, um, I guess the choices that one can make within, uh, you know, those instances as well. Yeah. yeah and so, so again, I just brought it up as a, as a, as a narrative. Um, uh-huh. You know, a lot of, a lot of people didn't know the truth, but we had, we watched this, this process. So um, now tell me in terms of girls or women in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So how does this play out in the workplace then? Yeah. So um, in terms of the workplace, what we do know is that um, skin tone actually does have very real impact on our experiences um, because of how, uh, you know, our lightness or our darkness in terms of our skin tone is interpreted and the associations, the associations that we make as a result with lighter and darker skin tones. So what we see is that it plays out in terms of the way we're perceived um, the access to opportunities that we have and the ways in which we're compensated as well as the experiences that we have in the workplace. So, for example, um, you know, when we're talking about per- uh, the perceptions that people have of us, um, there's a study that came out not too long ago from India that said that, uh, that um, women who are trained in areas that um, are, you know, public-facing industries um, are often dissuade from pursuing those opportunities or may find barriers to entry simply because of the idea that, and I quoted it because I thought this was just a very interesting quote, and it just sort of tells you how ingrained it is, is, um, quote, uh, that, the, um, that they require exposure to and interaction with the public. Uh, those women will be judged and they will be found unattractive. So that is a quote that comes from that. So because wow. of darker skin... These women who have studied and are ready to, you know, pursue careers in these areas are facing barriers to entry because of the ways in which they'll be perceived by others. So that barrier stops right there. 
And then we and find that's in that India. for like other that's in a, in a country with, that has people of color within it. There's even that. So like that to me just is another layer where, mm-hmm. you know, you would think that that wouldn't be an issue there, but it clearly is. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's really speaks to the internalized racism, which again, kind of takes us back to that history of colonialism, um, you know, and the impacts there. So you see that, but then what we've also found is that studies, uh, you know, studies have tracked, um, have tracked recruiters and they've shown that white recruiters often think, uh, when they see uh, uh, people who have lighter skin tones, they perceive them to be um, more intelligent than people with darker skin tones. And this was then within a controlled um, setting. So in this uh, specific study, what you found is that people who were presenting, um, you know, as candidates had equal, completely identical education, levels of achievement, um, political scores, vocabulary. So everything was identical, only difference was skin tone. And the idea of who was considered intelligent by recruiters varied based on skin tone. Wow. So that's where you start to see, yeah. So we start to see the perceptions coming in right there. And so, and this is my, always my challenge with um, some of this stuff is Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we kind of go, oh, it's okay. We've got policies, We've got policies mm-hmm. and, and we're scoring, so it's fair. But that mm-hmm. really shows that the underlying perceptions really do impact how we score and how we um, rate the candidate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So we're carrying our, our unconscious biases with us into yeah. those spaces. Yeah. yeah. Another area we see it is in our compensation as well. Um, so what we found is that studies have shown that, um, you know, we're all familiar that there is a gender and, a, and um, a race gap, right, in terms of, uh, you know, our, our gender, I mean, in terms of our um, wage um, uh, and earnings. But what we find is that there's also a shade gap as well. So we've actually been able to quantify what that looks like. And this was a study that was done about 10 years ago. Um, but what we found is that relative to white wage earners, um, if you had lighter skin, you, you were able to make um, about $1.50 less per hour. If you had like a medium skin tone, you were making um, almost $3 less. And then if you were darker skin tone, you're making almost $4 less. They were able to quantify what that difference looks like in terms of co- um, compensation as well. Wow. And then add to that the gender pay gap. Um, like we're just talking yep. about a ridiculous, oh, that's just, that's just a ridiculous differential between um, you know, just based on skin tone and gender. So um, what do you think, Christina? We've got a few minutes till we close the show. Yes. Um, because, you know, as a woman of color and if I have darker skin and I'm hearing that it's kind of like feels like quite a big mountain to climb in order to be able to succeed in my life. So what are what kind of messages can you, like how can women co- deal with this or um, what, what, what do you want to say to women who are aspiring to get into leadership positions that might be facing this kind of discrimination? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's something to be said for both ends. So I think in terms of uh, women who are aspiring to get into leadership positions, I think the first thing is recognizing that we're coming in with these stories that are, you know, these stories, but we're also walking into these structures um, that might not always benefit um, our advancement, but we have to continue to realize that, you know, we're skilled, we are worthy, we're capable, you know, we're, we're bringing a lot to the table and that when where one door closes, often another one opens. 
right? Yeah, so it's about yeah. finding and an organization that supports you. Yes, and so to Tina's point earlier, which is, and to Candice's point about mentors, is sometimes, they, you know, just go look at the staff like go and see if you can get a look at the staff picture, go and look at, right? Like they're go and find mm-hmm. the organization that will, um, that has a handle on this. So that's the other part. And I, I take your point and this is the, the work that you do with organizations. It's a systemic piece. So if I'm an HR person putting together my, um, you know, my next recruitment phase, what can I do to make sure that this isn't something that I'm carrying with me? Mm-hmm. So I think uh, the first thing is awareness. First and foremost, it's awareness and recognizing that, um, you know, the effects of shadism are real. They are, um, you know, and they show up within the workplace. So I think we just need to think about, um, you know, how are we not only bringing in women of all diversities into our spaces, but how are we, how are we being aware of their different experiences and their intersectionality and how are we supporting them in meaningful ways as a result of that? Um, so it's a little bit of recognizing our unconscious biases, but also being intentional about um, supporting diverse women in ways that are meaningful to them. Nice. Okay. So thank you so much. I mean, we could talk about this for quite some time because it's a a big issue and maybe we'll come back to it in another show. But um, for now, um, thank you for bringing this up and shining a bit of a, you know, a light on what we need to be discussing uh, more deeply than what we normally have been. So Christina will be here again next month with the Inclusion Zone. And a reminder that Christina, you can get in touch with her for coaching, training, or consulting projects related to inclusion. Where can people get hold of you, Christina? Uh, they could get in touch with me by LinkedIn, probably the easiest, or through my website, boldlyinclusive.co. Awesome. So do link in or connect with Christina. And Christina is going to be talking with us next month about code switching, which is a something that we do, people do when they go into workplaces, um, change their behavior. So next week, it's a nonprofit takeover. Heather Nelson will be here guest hosting. And obviously, as always, if you want to stay connected with me, you can sign up for a weekly leadership inspiration at theleadershipleap.net. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us this week for The Leadership Leap. Liam Pico invites you to tune in for another engaging program next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help you make a successful leap into leadership.